2: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts
3: now. Hey,
2: I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CMZ. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every day, some analyst comes up with something positive about how artificial intelligence is going to change the world. Every day, it moves up a stock, maybe two. These stocks then produce pin action that spreads throughout the market. Then some other analysts will come out and say, AI will boost our GDP growth by an extra percentage point or maybe two points. But we also have more skeptical analysts warning you to look out because it's all hype. And that includes days like today, Dow gained 169 points, s and advanced 0.62%, NASDAQ jumped 1.02%. 0.1, jump 1. You know why? Because the AI bull story triumphed over the AI bear story. Tonight, I want to explain why the AI bulls could actually be right. I want to talk about why the bears are likely wrong. Today's a, a good example of this pin action phenomenon. This morning, we got a strong push on Adobe, one of my longtime favorites. Because of how its software can be used with supercomputers that are at the heart of generative AI to develop new things with greater ease than we thought. Keep that in mind. It's a terrific concept, but for many of you, it's just too ethereal to understand. Some would say it's too 30,000 feet high for most people not in technology or in the software stocks to truly understand it. I keep running up against that all the time when I bump into you on in the street. Now, see, I'm actually blessed to have someone who is currently using it, a relative. And I'm going to tell you what it really means because she tells it in just plain out English. My relative is a dressmaker. She makes floral dresses. Before Adobe Firefly, the new Adobe product that utilizes artificial intelligence, if she wanted to make a dress, say Apple one with a fruit-related pattern, it was hard to figure out how it would look. See, if you place the drawing, say, of a lemon near the shoulder, that lemon would literally knock everything else off, kill her. might take two weeks of redesign to get everything back to on track. Keep in mind, this person is not some amateur hobbyist. This is a professional dressmaker. How to try to figure out putting a lemon here rather than here without destroying everything. Using Adobe Firefly, Powerfly, artificial intelligence, the same change, the same exact change, which is moving the lemon from here to here, it can be done in minutes, she says two minutes, and it's always better than the old version. It never makes mistakes. That doesn't mean Firefly's going to destroy dozens of jobs, does it? It doesn't mean you're going to make a fortune from it, but a designer who only has so many hours in her day to work, just got, she just got an extra two days' worth of time. Hey, what's that worth? Again, hard to determine but it's worth a great deal to the designer. Maybe that's what matters. So you can see how enticing the software might be to all sorts of creative professionals. And that's probably the chief reason why Adobe stock soared nearly 5% today. Should it be up that much? Oh boy, that's a subjective question. Now I could argue the dress issue can be iterated thousands of times, maybe hundreds of thousands of times over many different professions, which offers a lot more creativity, a lot more productivity. What does that mean for America's gross domestic product? Your guess is as good as mine, but that's the very definition of productivity, isn't it? And that's what the revolution's about. If you want to see how many different examples of improved productivity there are, I, I, I got one way for you to do it, but no one's, all you need to do is to do this. Go to NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wang's Computex speech on the NVIDIA website, the speech he gave in Taiwan. Now, he's got a bunch of, uh, of examples. I've pushed the speech probably to 50 people. In the last two weeks i only know one person who watched it and figures he's one of the greatest industrialists of our time and he has a tremendous thirst to learn you should adopt his his techniques so for the uninformed let me go over what he's saying and, and then you can decide if, if uh what jensen's going with the hype or if you're going to reality the most important productivity improvement that jensen sees coming from ai is in the biggest industry in the world and that's the multi-trillion dollars factory manufacturing business. The making of factories. The business, obviously, is a lot like the dress example I just gave you. Every single time that you build a factory, the biggest, most complicated issue is what's known as the change order. The new lemon on the dress A change order precipitates many other change orders, which are the real cost to manufacturing things. Imagine if you could make, let's say, a twin of that factory using a supercomputer and artificial intelligence. Every time you wanted to make a change, you just made it on the digital twin first. See how it works. See what it moves. Right now, BMW is about to build a factory that was first imagined with a digital twin. Again, we don't know how much money is being saved. The plant's being built right now. But we know it's going to produce 150,000 uh, autos in Hungary in 2025. And it, we can't say how much it's going to mean to the bottom line. It hasn't even pushed your car through yet. But that said, the digital twin could end up saving billions of dollars in construction costs and in time. Again, put that in the equation. It's a pedestrian use for certain. But it reduces waste. By the way, Jensen's driven by waste more than anything else when I talk to him. And it's more efficient and it's cheaper. So, what's it worth again? We're not able to calculate it, darn it. However, if you remove the largest amount of friction from the biggest industry in the world, you can see a real GDP impact. That's not nonsense. Of course, the problem with calculating what AI will mean is that so much of it is business to business, not business to you. Meaning, it's totally invisible to the consumer unless you use it at work. For example, Apple Foxconn, they outsourced assembler computers and other gadgets. They use AI to detect manufacturing defects, so many others do, too. NVIDIA says they can save $6 trillion in quality control if they're implemented worldwide. Okay, there's $6 trillion. Highly personalized ads generated for you by AI could revolutionize the $700 billion advertising industry. Automatic speech recognition could replace the poor customer service representative who gets asked the same question over and over again. Jack-in-the-box is using it right now in the drive-thru. Its CEO, Darren Harris, told us that not only does the bot save on the cost of an employee, it actually does a better job with fewer mistakes, better prompts for upsells, makes you buy a bigger milkshake. He's tried to fool it many times. He never has been able to. The quick-serve industry rocked by labor shortage, It's not going to be the same once people figure out what Jack-in-the-box has done. Equipment that needs to be towed or moved around using big forklifts will now be able to be placed on robots and program where to go, something that could save who knows what. Jensen calculated that the robots will save 70% of the time. It would take humans to do the same work. Again, right to the bottom line, but very pedestrian, very prosaic. What makes this more exciting is that NVIDIA has teamed up with Google Cloud, Meta, and Microsoft to explore the possibilities. Oracle is going to be a partner, too. And NVIDIA itself can be hired directly. These companies are salivating because the giant GPU that NVIDIA recently unveiled, which is all in the video, by the way, can process, and this is, see, this is what really gets me down because I don't understand any of these numbers, but some of the younger people might, people given the math. This processes one quintillion floating points per second. You know what a quintillion is? It's a billion billion or written out, it's one followed by 18 zeros. That level of computing power doesn't mean anything to me. It's incomprehensible, but to some people, they know that this changes everything. Because these speeds are a quantum leap versus what we had before. NVIDIA got orders for $4 billion more equipment than it thought it would just three months ago. It's the speed. Now, I know none of this is even remotely exciting. It's not exciting that Cadence, one of their partners, makes the casings. that Marvell and Broadcom make the connecting pipes, or that ServiceNow has teamed up with NVIDIA to make your office more efficient. I know it means so little to you. It's just all of this business-to-business productivity that cuts waste, lowers costs, and frees up people to be more efficient. That's why I mentioned the lemon dress, okay? Not as boring, but you can see the value. Honestly, I wish there were more to it. There was something that, like I was thinking the other day, how about, how about if... AI could put a man on Mars in two days? How about if AI could win the war for Ukraine? How about if it could solve world hunger? No, it can't do any of that stuff. And maybe that's why it leaves so many of you cold or in the dark. But here's the bottom line. When you consider the scale of the business to business opportunity, you can see why AI might be worth far more than most people realize, even if it's too early to calculate the exact numbers. I know there's a lot of hype here. And in some individual cases, it is overblown. But anybody who tells you that the AI theme's pure hype, that person is only fooling herself. They know nothing! Let's go to Annie in Rhode Island. Please, Annie.
1: Hi, Jim. It's an honor. Thank you. Oh, thank Uh, you,
2: Annie. How can I help?
1: (laughs) Oh, I just want to thank you for being such a great teacher all these years. Uh, Thank you. And that's what I want to do. Thank you.
2: I'm living ambitiously. I'm teaching everything.
1: (laughs) It's great. So this stock I've had for about a year and a half in October, it took a big tumble. I just can't believe that there's not endless demand for what they do. And the price of real estate keeps going up. So why a big drop in share prices? And and should I hang on to American Tower?
2: American Tower has been a very bad stock to own. Uh, Crown Castle has been even worse. These stocks turn to be very linked to far more linked than we thought to the bond market. And as rates went up, these went down. But at 190, I do not bless selling it. I bless holding it. Let's go to Tommy in California. Tommy.
4: Hi, Jim. The company I'm calling about makes popular shoes. They've uh, recently been expanding their offering. And it looks like they're even moving into action, uh, activewear. Uh, can you give me the scoop on
2: Skechers? Okay, they, they've been an activer for a long time. Now, catchers is, is a sink or swim stock. I've recommended this at times. It's made people a fortune, and at times it's cut me off the knees. That's why right now I like On-On. I think it's at these prices, On-On, it's actually a better buy than Skechers all the way up. Okay, we're in the early innings of the AI revolution, and I'm trying to explain it to you in simple ways, but it's not a simple concept. I know there are a lot of people who think it's hype out there, but anyone who thinks that is really missing the main point. I'll made money tonight? The IPO class of 2021 had some enterprise software stinkers. But there were two names that stood out this earnings season for the group that I think investors should be paying attention to, if not buying. Then, with recession fears still lurking, should investors turn to precious metals? Streaming company like Wheaton, you know I like the precious metals. I'm checking in company CEO, and we're not seeing the large layoffs that might that you probably expect at this point in the cycle. So what does that mean for our economy? I'll break down the situation, so stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets.
2: As we reach the end of the off cycle earnings season, where we hear from tons of enterprise software companies, it's become clear that the market's finally behaving like a meritocracy again. And that's one where the good ones rally and the bad ones plummet. That hasn't been the case for a long time around here. Is the cloud software stocks have more or less traded as a block. Uh, First on the way up, then last year on the way down. Didn't matter how good they were doing before rebounding as a group once again in early 2023. But now we've got a very group of winners and losers, making this much more of a stock market for people like me who pick stocks and for people like you who want to get winners. And that's why tonight I want to focus on a pair of software stocks from the ill-fated IPO class of 2021 that have nevertheless found themselves in the winners column this year. I'm talking about Confluent, and that's CFLT, and Samsara, and the symbol is IoT. Yes, Internet of Things, for you home gamers. The former's up 56% for the year, while the latter has more than doubled. So what exactly is going on at these companies, and what should we do with their stocks up here? Let's start with Confluent and then circle back to SimSara. Confluent Confluent's a data play. I call it a data analytics play like so many others, but management adamantly describes itself as a data infrastructure company. They claim to have, quote, pioneered a new category of data infrastructure designed to connect all the application systems and data layers of a company around a real-time central nervous system, end quote. Basically, they make a new kind of data infrastructure software that replaces the old database model, and this new kind of infrastructure has become essential to their digitally savvy clients. See, these days, everybody wants to harness their treasure troves of data, but you need the right kind of setup to do that as efficiently as possible. That's where Confluent comes in. At the same time, their whole thing is built on something called Apache Kafka, that's an open source software platform that's used by over 80% of the companies the Fortune 100, meaning it's easy for them to adopt Confluence technology. Within the data food chain, Confluent falls somewhere between data warehousing and analytics plays, and that's like Snowflake, you know, Frank Slootman's company, or the in-house analytics offerings from Amazon Web Services or Google, and of course the classic database companies like Oracle or the red-hot MongoDB. As of the end of the first quarter, they had just they had just under 4,700 customers, including some notable names across a host of industries, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, Netflix, Walmart. They pick anybody, right? Dick's Sporting Goods, Humana. So this is a very legitimate software company. What about the financials? Like most software names that came public in 2021, Confluent was originally a pure growth story. They had 64% revenue growth in 2021, and that only slowed to 51% last year. The flip side of that is that they had zero profitability in either year. They didn't even have positive earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization, let alone positive free cash flow. For most of last year, the market turned on pure growth stories like that, which is why this stock was untouchable for the bulk of last year, at least until the market wide bottom last fall. Money losers with fast growth had gone out of style in the Wall Street fashion show. But earlier this year. Confluent finally got religion on the need for profitability, like so many other enterprise software outfits. When they reported in late January, management also announced a big restructuring effort. It was surprising. That included layoffs of 8% of the workforce and a goal of reaching break-even operating margins by the end of the year. Confluent actually slightly lowered its revenue growth forecast at the same time, although it's still at 30%. But Wall Street lapped it up because the pivot to profitability is what investors wanted, which I've said over and over again, the big pivot. Growth at all costs had gone out of style more than a year before. Now the market's much more interested in profitable growth. While Confluent isn't there yet, you know, they got a pl- plausible roadmap to be there. Now, fast forward to the next earnings report on May 3rd, and Confluent did pretty darn well. They delivered better than expected sales, a smaller than expected loss, and an over 130% dollar-based net retention rate. That, that last one is huge. The net retention rate tells you if existing customers are expanding their business with the company or scaling it back. And anything over 100% means you're giving Confluent more money. 130%. Wow, terrific. These guys also had 89% growth rate for their cloud products. Again, very impressive. On top of that, management gave you strong guidance uh, for the current quarter, and they raised their full-year earnings forecast. They still expect a net loss, but a much smaller one. Put it all together, that was a terrific quarter, which is why the stock jumped 16% the next day. It really hasn't looked back since. In fact, Confluence now up nearly 75% just since it reported a little over a month ago. All of its year-to-date gains have come in the last few weeks. This thing is red hot. And Confluence hardly alone here. There are plenty of data or data-adjacent stocks that have finally caught fire this year if you're spending some time in the wilderness. Palantir, I know you like that one. It's up 136 percent That was great last quarter. Dynatrace up 32%. Snowflake up, up 29%. A uh, Tepping quarter, but people still like it. And Splunk up 15%, a good start on a big turn. There's a very good reason for, the, for this. These companies are all secondary winners from, yes, I know, the generative AI boom. The way generative AI systems like ChatGPT work it's by feeding them mountains of data. That's how the AI learns. Although I'm, sh- I'm sh- you know, kind of using the term learns very broadly here. So any software that can help pull, organize, store, or access data is suddenly a lot more valuable than it was before ChatGPT. On the latest conference call, Chairman and CEO Jay Kreps got a question about AI. He called it an accelerator of his business. Listen to this. Quote, Already, we have customers that are doing this for real, including a large travel company that's building real-time context data and using that to power chat interfaces for their customers. Now, I expect that to be a pattern that is more common, end quote. He also explained where Confluent fits into the AI story, quote, Our role in that architecture is kind of helping customers assemble that real-time context data that would go into asking the right questions, powering the right queries, getting the right context in the interface that's where we fit into the architecture, end quote. So let's put it all together. I like Confluent, the company, a lot. Great story. Eh, The stock. You know me. I hate chasing them up 75 percent, especially as done in a little more than a month. However, you can still make a valuation argument for this one because it trades at a sizable discount to both Snowflake and MongoDB on an enterprise value to sales basis. still one more important metric. That's despite growing much faster than MongoDB and only a bit slower than Snowflake, assuming they can hit that 30% forecast. That said, given how much the stock's run, it wouldn't kill you to wait for a pullback from here to the mid-30s to say uh, maybe high 20s to pull the trigger. Bottom line, Confluence finally caught fire. Because it's a high-quality data infrastructure story that's riding the AI wave. While it's probably too late to go all in up here, you've got my permission to put on a small position and then wait for a chance to buy more as it comes down. And Money's back after the break. Coming up,
0: remember the Internet of Things? Kramer profiles a stock you won't want to miss next
2: highlighting a couple of enterprise software stocks that have exploded higher in the recent weeks. Two members of the dreaded IPO class of 2021 that have turned from losers to winners, and they did it practically overnight. Now, earlier I told you about Confluent, but there's another one that's even, believe it or not, hotter, and that's a company called Samsara, S-A-M-S-A-R-A, which is now up 123% year-to-date, including a 46% run since it reported only a week ago. SimSara's main offering is called the Connected Operations Cloud. It's a software system that lets companies gain actionable insights from the Internet of Things, hence the symbol IoT. At the same time, they do a small amount of hardware sales, mostly from selling the IoT devices that monitor customers' physical operations and feed data to their software platforms. This is a different kind of company. I really like this one. haven't seen its model elsewhere. Basically, SimSara helps businesses digitize their physical operations and become more efficient in the process. Their data platform collects video footage, motion detection data, GPS location data, energy consumption data, asset utilization data, and almost any reading you might get from a vehicle. The idea is to help their clients visualize their physical operations in real time all on a single platform, novel, How does it work? For example, a large municipal government reduced fleet downtime for its cars and trucks by 28 percent using Samsara's platform. This is smart technology. A large garbage company used it to achieve a 58 percent drop in speeding incidents. Now you get the idea, right? Business is good. In in its last fiscal year, Samsara had 52 percent revenue growth, 42 percent recurring revenue growth. Very strong. Now, it's still unprofitable, but its margins are moving in the right direction. When these guys reported in early March, they delivered a magnificent full-year forecast, although after an initial run, the stock stayed range-bound for the next three months. That is until SimSara reported again last week. The most recent numbers were nothing short of spectacular. Better than expected results on every major line. billing, sales, annual re- recurring revenue. All of the earnings lines. They're now very close to breaking even. Free cash flow, key metric for me. Looks like it's about to turn positive. At the same time, Sam Sarah gave terrific guidance for the current quarter. And management once again raised their full-year forecast. They're now talking about 33% revenue growth with more or less break-even earnings. Well, I like that. But as good as the numbers were, the story that Sam Sarah told on the conference call was even better. First, management explained that they could report such excellent numbers because they're winning a lot of new deals, especially large deals. How's that possible when so many other enterprise software players hit the wall? Sam Sarah says they're two sides of the same coin. Businesses have gotten more discerning when they buy technology, and Sam Serra's been able to convince prospective customers to go with them because their products have a proven track record of helping customers control costs and delivering a solid return on investment. They've got all this technology in every machine, every device, every vehicle. Tim Serra can help them do something useful with all of this data, and that saves money. That's what it tends to do. Don't take it from me. After the quarter, our favorite software analyst, a fellow by the name of Sterling Aughty, A-U-T-Y. He works at SVB Moffat nathanson he told us and he put it perfectly actually quote, "SIMsara is a company that is offering solutions that can be deployed quickly and save companies money. These are the types of projects that get the green light in tough economic times. Also, it helps the SamSara's prices per device, not per employee, and the spend comes out of the operating budgets, not the IT budgets, end quote, "Interesting." Interesting differences there. So in an environment where other software companies have trouble closing deals, and so-called elongation before they can close, these guys have no problem winning tons of new business. They added a record 138 large customers in the first quarter, including one of the biggest names out there, United Rentals, URI. Of course, any good tech story these days needs, yeah, an AI angle, even if management practically makes it up out of whole cloth. Sam has actually got a convincing argument for its AI connection. Specifically, their technology collected six Trillion—that's right, with a T—data points last year. The whole idea here is that they help customers gain insights from this constant influx of Internet of Things data. Then they're able to use the data they've accumulated from customers in specific industries, and then create AI tools that are particularly useful for that space. On the conference call, CEO Sanjay Biswas talked about how one of their clients is using Sam'sara's vehicle telematic system and expanding from that into an AI-powered, video-based s- safety application, something that can improve the safety of its vehicles. And more important, from a corporate perspective, lower their insurance premiums. very hard to do. Based on the savings here, Samsara says this customer can probably earn their money back in about four months. So yes, we've got a real value-based idea here. Now, Samsara's stock has finally risen above its original IPO price, thanks to its big value over the past week. At this point, it's gotten pricey. Enterprise value to sales multiple at 14. Remember, that's how we value these unprofitable software names. You see, in a perfect world, of course, I'd wait for a pullback to a cheaper level, just like I told you with Confluent. This one's so good, I don't think you're going to get it. I really don't. I, I, you actually probably have to add a small position here and then maybe wait for it to come down. Like we do that with the investment club where you just got to put some on uh, and then you can buy more as it goes lower. I'm afraid you'll, that there is much more upside here. That's how good the story is. Last thing before I move on from these new enterprise software companies. Both Confluent and Subsara have, and this is very interesting. They have investor meetings coming up. Confluence Investor Day is next Tuesday, June 13th, while Sam Serra has an investor day the following week on June 22nd. Now, look, I'm not sure what it'll mean for these stocks, uh, but these events are often positive catalysts. Uh, but given how much they've already run, maybe they could tell incredible stories and they might not get that much lift from here. But the bottom line, if you like the sound of Confluence or Sam Sarah after what you heard tonight, and I think you should, I'm begging you. See what you can learn from these upcoming investor events in order to get the full investment case directly from the horse's mouth. I like them both right here. Of course, I like them better on weakness. Chris in Virginia. Chris. Hey, Jim. Uh, my name is Chris Pastorelli. I'm 28. I uh, own my own firm in Northern Virginia and I've been into stocks since I was a kid. Uh, so oh, I'm really glad to be able to speak
1: to you today. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> thank fabulous. You. Uh,
2: Congratulations on your success. Thank you so much, Jim. No, I, I, I radically appreciate that. Uh, so I got a good one for you today. It's no MongoDB or Datadog, but it's Twilio. I think it's a great, you know, I think it's a great company. Um, you know, they just partnered with Google the other day on their LLMs, their large language models, to be able to assist Twilio Segment in understanding that data that's running through their Segment platform. Um, you know, they've been, they've been pegged at like a really good growth rate of forty percent, um sort of since their IPO. I know they dipped down a bit, but I see this company. They have four billion of revenue. I see them growing at twenty five percent, CAGR for three years. Getting to $8 you know, billion I'm with in revenue. I'm with you. I I had my doubts about Jeff Lawson's company for a long time. Uh, I loved it for a while. Jesus it went all the way up. Then it's come all the way down. I, I did not catch it at the bottom. It did, it did trade 20 points lower from here. But I think everything you said, Chris, is true. I think they're making a comeback, and I think it's time to be able to say, buy half Twilio now and half of it comes in. Let's go to Nick in Virginia, please. Nick. Hey, Jim. Nick, what's up? This stock has been sold off in the last year, and
0: uh, you may have heard we have an election coming up next year. There could be some good political advertising money coming this company's way. Uh, And they also have no significant debt maturities in the next three years, but they do have some coming up in 2026. Are those debt maturities something to be concerned about now? The stock is GTN, great television.
2: Yeah, you have to worry. Um, The stock trades so low that it tells me that the company's going to need money. Uh, I don't like anything that's involved with local TV. Or local radio, and boy, that has kept people out of a lot of bad stocks. So that's my take, Nick. Thank you for the call. If you like the, the case we just laid out for Sam Sara and Confluent, and boy, that Sam Sara, I really like that right here. Then pay attention to their upcoming investor meetings. Maybe be catalyst here, and get ready to buy them on weakness. Although I am blessing the Sam Sara acquisition small right now. Much more money at putting my exclusive put wheat and precious metals. You know I'm a big fan of the gold miners, but could a precious metals player with a streaming kicker be the way to go? I'm talking to the CEO. Very interesting story. Then why does the employment situation seem like more people are being hired than being fired? I think I found the reason I'm going to share it with you and how it impacts the world inflation. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lighting Round. Plus, please don't miss NBC's Inspiring America. It airs this Saturday and Sunday. As we head to break, let me give you a sneak peek of today's show's Craig Melvin talking to Reba McIntyre about her efforts to save her hometown from economic ruin. Folks who are
3: watching this, We've heard about how Ariba McIntyre's helped save her tiny town. What do you want them to take away from this story?
1: Well, I want them to take away that Ariba was a small part of a great story, a successful story, one that's still growing, one that's still thriving, and one that's talked about all over the state of Oklahoma.
2: inflation's cooling and the debt ceiling crisis is in the rearview mirror, for heaven's sake, thank you. Wow, well, is that good? But then you got to ask, what do we do with the precious metals? I'm talking about gold and silver. While they pulled back a bit since the debt ceiling, they're still up big off their lows last fall. So what if you want to have a safer way to play gold and silver? I want to introduce you to Wheaton Precious Metals, which is what's known as a streaming company. They don't mine for gold and silver. Instead, they front the money for a mining operation in exchange for the right to buy the resulting metals at a discount, not equity. Actual. When you buy something like wheat and Precious Metals, you're betting on gold and silver or palladium or cobalt without the operational risk that comes from owning an actual miner. I think it's an intriguing story. So let's check in with Randy Smallwood, he's the president CEO of wheat and Precious Metals, to learn more. Mr. Smallwood, welcome to Mad Money.
3: Always a pleasure, Jim. Good to see you.
2: Okay, so Randy, I, I, you know, I just like precious metals always have since I started the show. I think this is a very intriguing way for people to get exposure. I want everyone to have at least ten percent of their assets in precious metals. Tell me why this isn't uh, the best way to be involved.
3: Well, uh, the advantage of the streaming model is that uh, we take out so much of the cost risk of uh, of a traditional mining investment. Um, But we still deliver all the benefits, all the rewards, uh, all the organic growth, all the expansion potential and the uh, obviously the price exposure and and the commodity price exposure is even levered because we do have that base production cost as uh, as the gold and silver gets delivered to us. So it's a great low risk, uh, high quality way to invest into precious metals. And how have people done since they started with uh, your company? We've got a lot of happy shareholders, and uh, and uh, with our growth profile, we're going to have even more happy shareholders uh, over the next few years. Now, you put in what uh, a huge amount of money since you started. How have you done uh, for
2: uh, with that amount of money?
3: Well, it's actually interesting. Earlier this year, we uh, reached uh, I guess what you'd call the payback level, where we've invested about ten billion dollars into the mining industries, a number of different projects. We got over twenty projects delivering metal to us, and a whole bunch of development projects, but. But earlier this year, we surpassed $10 billion uh, received back. So we've reached that sort of payback stage. And uh, considering we've got 30 years of reserves, another 10 years of M&I resources, and 20 after that, altogether 60 years of production still waiting to come out over the next while, uh, it's, uh, we're in great shape. What kind of growth are you predicting, uh, say, between now and 2027? growth. Uh, This year, we'll do 630,000 gold equivalent ounces. We should be very close to a million gold equivalent ounces by 2027. As I said earlier on, uh, during our our, uh, first quarter results this year, this is the first of many quarters where every quarter is going to be better and better uh, than the previous one. Uh, Good, strong growth, both uh, from existing brownfields assets And we've got a bunch of new projects that will be delivering uh, metal to us. So it's uh, really exciting times. For years, when people told me that they wanted
2: silver exposure, I always said wheat. Now, that is basically the kind of the roots of the company. But you right now are uh, chair of the World Gold Council. And yet I understand (laughs) that you share some of our viewers like for silver.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. As the chair of the World Gold Council, uh, my favorite metal is silver. Uh, we started this company focused on the silver space, but the but the silver space, and that's one of the reasons why uh, you know I like silver is there's just not a lot of it out there. It's really tough to find. Very few silver mines in the world. Most silver is produced as a byproduct, and there's just and most of it comes from lead zinc mines. And there's just not a lot of new lead zinc mines getting built. So there's going to be a supply. Well, there already is a bit of a supply shortage on the silver side, and we're seeing that. Uh, uh add some strength to the silver price we just haven't seen the move that we expect so far well i i think there'll be a great move so i i I agree with you now one thing that's very
2: interesting is that single source mines mines that actually are pretty pretty attractive if i could have a portfolio of them happen to be drawn to you and you uh get great deals for for your shareholders not just your stakeholders but for your shareholders
3: well, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, right now, uh, the the public markets, you know if you sit and look at how uh, how mining companies are trading their shares, especially the earlier stage single asset development companies, they're having a tough time getting support from shareholders. no doubt a little bit higher risk when you're only building one mine going forward and you don't have access to operating cash flow. Well, streamers, we're the long-term investors of today. We're the ones that step in and support these companies on a go-forward basis. And our cost of capital to these uh, companies is so much more attractive than issuing shares and diluting their existing shareholder base. So we have a long list of opportunities we're working on right now. We just announced another one a couple of weeks ago, and we're expecting to close a few more acquisitions. And so we're going to add even more to this uh, already very strong growth profile. This is a great time to be in the streaming business. All right, one last question, Randy. I'm involved and have
2: watched the the crypto market. Uh, It's very opaque. It's difficult to tell what what goes on. I think wheat and precious metals is probably... The least opaque metals company I've come across. I can't uh, ask you to speculate on a Binance or any of those different outfits, but what, why don't you, if you can, just tell our viewers, if you want to hedge, which one might be a more, uh, let's say, transparent hedge for people who don't like the, the uh, fiat currencies?
3: Uh, there's no doubt uh, going into the precious metals uh, space. I mean, that's, that's what gold has been forever, is is a store of value, a measure of value that that lasts. It's apolitical. It's not subject to political influence, and uh, and, and I think that's even been reinforced uh, over the last year. Here we see central banks buying at record levels uh, as they're moving into gold because they realize that it doesn't have. It's not subject to political influence, and and that's that's what gold has always provided. That's what precious metals have always provided. Is it's it's you can't copy it. There's only one. It's you know. There's only one gold. There's only one silver. And uh, and as a store of value, it, it just it's lasted for thousands of years, and it will last for thousands of years. Well, i leave it right there. And I'm glad you and I are very much sympatrical on this issue. Randy
2: Smallwood, who is the president and CEO of Wheat and Precious Metals, sir. Thank you for coming on Mad Money.
3: Always a pleasure. Thanks, Jim. All right, we'll be back after a break. Coming up, what's in your mind, Craymerica? America? Give us a call. The
0: lightning round is storming the NYSE next.
1: It is
2: time. It's time for the light round. this and then the light round. Is are you ready, Ski? Time for the light round. start with Grace in California. Grace.
1: Hi, Mr. Kramer, longtime Grace. listener. Excellent. Uh, what is your outlook on clubs? Power.
2: I've given up on plug power. They've made too many disappointments. She only gets so many strikes in this game. Let's go to Nick in Pennsylvania. Nick! Nick? Go ahead, Nick. Hello? You're up. Yeah, Nick, it's Jim. Oh. No, this is Jason. Oh, I'm sorry, Jason. Jason, what's up? Uh I was wondering about FMR, New Scale Power. No, I think it's uh all hype not uh not uh, rigorous enough for me to recommend on this show let's go to william in arizona william booyah
0: from sun city i have lyondale basil industry very inexpensive stock
2: i like it i think you can own it for the long term how about bruce in florida bruce hey jim uh cure released uh, results of a trial that uh, Demonstrated a slight increase in overall survival
1: and stock yeah, but not enough. And 50%. I was
2: surprised that it wasn't better after all the things they've done for brain cancer. I'm going to have to accept the verdict of the, of the stock market and say stay away. How about Terry in Washington, Terry?
4: Young Don't State Penguin, pool you to you, Jimmy. I'm a club like member. Yes, I've been following you since we both had hair. Hey,
3: Boy, buddy, I got I a Since I was question. seven. What is, yeah. What is the best play for
2: the industrial slash power grid? I'm looking at Eaton. What do you think? You're absolutely right, Eaton. That's why again, hit a D2 week high, if it ever comes in, bye bye bye. I've been talking with Jeff Marks about really showing this one for the uh, investing club. That's how good it is. I think you had a real horse sense. Nick in Florida, Nick. Oh but booyah, Jimmy Chill. It's Nick No More New York, finally, Fresh Air Florida. And I've been watching your show since the days of Dan Dorfman. I'm watching that channel. Oh my, Mordor, what's up? I want to congratulate my dearest, sweetest
0: friend, Denny, on a confirmation today, and I want to thank you, Jim, for what you do for all the
4: viewers. That my idea. stock is a leader in its niche, but it's in a space that's undergone some recent pain that might not be over. It's a leap, but this might be the time to look back and say that we should have bought. Is it too early? To pull the trigger
2: on letter O, realty no, income. No, no, you want to buy that one. I think that's an absolutely great oh idea. Thank you for the kind words, but boy, I think realty income is terrific. Let's go to Billy in North Carolina, Billy. Jim, at your recommendation, I'm in Owens Corning at around 28. I've held it for years. Please tell me what to do with it now. Okay, I want you to sell half of it right now, take it off the table, and then let the other half. That used to be because there was a previous CEO, two CEOs ago, mm. used to come on and told a great story. I'm glad you did it. Thank you. Let's go to Chris in Alabama. Chris. Hey, Jimmy. Chill. Booyah. A chill speaking. What's up?
3: A uh, long time, second time. Thank you for uh, everything that you do. Oh, you're welcome. So, uh, AI... Sorry. AI seems like the next major secular trend. And
2: uh, I found an AI enabled robotics company that specializes in supply chain management and warehouses, and that Walmart took an 11% stake in. So, with the coming boom in onshoring and factory spend because of the Inflation Reduction Act and other uh, federal increases in infrastructure spending, what do you think of Symbotic? Chris, I got to do work on Symbotic. I don't know it well enough. I will do that work. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the. Lightning Round. The Lightning Round
0: is sponsored by TDM Ameritrade.
2: We spend way too much time trying to figure out why more people keep being hired and not enough time figuring out why more people aren't being fired. Right now, we have this temporary lull in the cliched red-hot job market where we actually are waiting for something negative to happen that will make the Fed declare victory in its fight against inflation. At this point in a rate hike cycle, you'd expect a lot more job losses (laughs) than we're seeing. And those layoffs cause people to spend less money, which is what historically stops inflation. We're not seeing that now, though. And I think I finally realize why. I think we lack creative destruction. Ordinarily, companies would merge and then fire a bunch of people with overlapping jobs. But lately, mergers keep getting blocked or at least delayed by the Federal Trade Commission. I know it sounds almost quaint to many of our younger audience, but we have these things called doctrines, where our government wants to preserve the right of the consumer to not be price gouged by powerful enterprises that have been put together by rich moneymen, malfactors of great wealth, as Teddy Roosevelt called them back in 1907. Back then, this is more or less called the shots because the government was much weaker than it is now. Too weak to stop companies from stifling competition or colluding to keep prices high or outright monopolizing entire industries. Now, the FCC was created a little over a century ago precisely to stop this kind of bad behavior. Ever since, they tried to thread the needle between allowing enough mergers uh, to create more efficient entities without allowing so many mergers that you end up with little competition. Sometimes it's leading more to one side than the other side, but there were always plenty of mergers that the FTC approved. That all changed when Joe Biden appointed someone named Lena Khan to the FTC chair. She's upended the doctrine and invented a new one, which more or less views all mergers as hurting the consumer solely in order to help the malfactors of great wealth. I wish I were exaggerating. But Khan's actions have certainly created the impression that she sees all mergers as inherently anti-competitive and enriching the entitled classes. Now, you could argue we have a system of checks and balances in this country. Lena Khan's FTC doesn't have absolute authority to block these deals. She can be overruled by a federal judge. There's also the Justice Department Antitrust Trust Division, run by a pretty reasonable guy, Jonathan Kanner, former corporate lawyer from Paul Weiss. The difference between these two you know, is just really stark. But because Khan's so dead set against practically all mergers, most of the major executives that I know are saying, you know what, let's not merge at all. Forget about it. Maybe we wait and see if the Republicans win next year, because we do anything. The FTC is just going to block it anyway. And you know what? They're right. Can't blame them. But that impact is creating a world where many industries have no rationalization at all or certainly no creative destruction. We aren't seeing a fraction of the mergers we need to see in retail for brick and mortar to possibly stay competitive. Entertainment needs maybe half the companies that currently exist. We need far fewer and better drug companies. We have so many oil producers that we're, it's nuts. Same with restaurants, ad firms, real estate investment trusts. I can go on and on. Only airlines need more competition than I could see. But I'm pretty sure Lindecon's FTC would try to block any deal in any of the industries I just mentioned. Any. There's one other industry with too many people that Khan doesn't really preside over, and that's the banks. We could actually do probably problem without 4,000 banks. It might not even matter these days, given all the fintech bank alternatives that have been created in recent years. But we have a doctrine against bank consolidation, and I like that. It's only been breached once, the J.P. Morgan shotgun wedding for First Republic recently, and the regulators only let that happen to stop the bank run. If Khan weren't FTC chair, we'd be seeing huge layoffs in this country right now as businesses merge and fire people. Maybe you think her views are positive. It's certainly good for the people keeping their jobs, but it's bad for inflation because it means the price of labor stays stubbornly high. Khan's one of the greatest creators of wage inflation in our nation's history. And from the stock market's perspective, that's a very bad thing. Same for the Fed. Hey, same for you when it comes to your costs. As long as Khan's there, we likely won't see the giant layoffs that we normally get at this point in the cycle, inflation killers for certain. Whether you like it or hate it, at least now you know a big reason why inflation is far more sticky than it should be right now. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.
4: warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash madmoney disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive.